Howdy everybody, Dr. Andy Woods here. I'm the pastor teacher here at Sugarland Bible Church. We're here today with another pastor's point of view. I believe this is number 225. Today is September the 2nd, 2022. We're gonna bring you today on pastor's point of view a prophecy update. You'll notice our outline here of the six or so things we're gonna try to walk through in rapid fire with you today just to bring you up to speed concerning all of the prophetic developments that are happening in our world. Let's go ahead and start with Babylon. Um, you'll notice this map here. It shows you exactly where Babylon is. It's the area between the Euphrates and the Tigris. It's modern day Iraq. It's the same uh, basic part of the world where the children of Israel were taken into the Babylonian captivity. It's the same part of the world where the ancient Tower of Babel once stood. And we believe that this city of Babylon is going to be restored to life and is going to become something that is prominent in the tribulation period based on Revelation 17 and 18. Now, a lot of you are saying, oh, come on, you know, that's not a legitimate prophetic view. So if you're of that mindset, I would invite you to get my book, less than 100 pages, um, defending this perspective. It's entitled Babylon, The Bookends of Prophetic History. And you'll notice this chart here by my former professor, Dr. Charles Dyer, he goes through the unfulfilled prophecies of Babylon, not the least of which is Jeremiah 50 and 51. And he shows in this chart how much of that prophetic language shows up in Revelation 17 and 18. And the reason that's significant is it shows that the prophecies concerning the destruction of Babylon have never been fulfilled. Therefore, for these prophecies to be fulfilled, which has to happen because God cannot lie, Babylon has to be brought back to life and destroyed in the seventh bowl judgment that we see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 19. And then that ancient city brought back to life and destroyed by God is mentioned in Revelation 17 and 18. So therefore, we believe that Babylon is prophetically significant and therefore activities taking place right now in historic Babylon are stage setting for this end times scenario. So with that being said, notice this article here from IraqiNews.com by Amir Salem, August 10th, 2022. The title of it is Babylon Presidential Palace to Become a Civilized Museum. So the first line in the article says, Babylon Governorate announced on Wednesday the allocation of a sum of essentially Seven million U.S. dollars have been allocated to transform the presidential palace in the ancient city into a civilized museum. It mentions here um, the deputy governor William, uh, excuse me, Wissam Aslan, 
And then at the end of the article, it says, Aslan also noted that the museum will be one of the distinguished museums, presumably of the world. This reminds me of the seven ancient wonders, or wonders, I should say, of the ancient world, one of which was the hanging gardens in Babylon. You almost get the idea that there's an ambition amongst Iraqi authorities to reestablish this um, ancient wonder. That comes as no surprise to students of Bible prophecy, literal interpreters, because we, as we have said earlier, believe very strongly that Babylon is destined to become a city of greatness and play a very prophetically significant role in the end times. Now, when we begin to talk like this, a lot of people will say, oh, come on, um, a city of worldwide significance cannot be built from scratch like you're saying. I mean, they look over at the ancient city of Babylon and they see a city there and a civilization, but it certainly doesn't harmonize with the city of worldwide influence that we see in Revelation 17 and 18. Well, the truth of the matter is that objection, to my mind, is almost dead because of the time period that we're living in. We are literally living in a time period where, cit where cities can be built from scratch and rise to prominence almost overnight. And notice, if you will, this article from Axios Dot com by Jennifer Kingson, August the 25th, 2022. It says, Cities of the Future Built from Scratch. And notice what the article says. Um, it says, There are about a dozen projects worldwide to create sustainable, hyper modern cities from scratch. And the article goes on and it mentions one such city in Nevada that will be planted or created in Nevada, Utah, or Arizona. It's called Teloza. And it says Teloza is set to build on 150,000 acres in either Nevada, Utah, or Arizona. Notice what the article says. This particular city will be governed by a principle that the progenitors of it, in this case, billionaire Mark Lore, calls equitism. <laughs> now, we all understand what equity is, equitism. That's not guaranteeing equal opportunity. What it is guaranteeing is equal results. So equity is another name for Marxism. And that would fit with the servitude that's described of Babylon in the end times. Notice that a similar city is on the uh, horizon of being built from scratch, featuring the enslavement of Marxism. The article says it will be governed by a principle called equitism, which seems to be a mashup of democracy, capitalism, and socialism. The article says Telosa's 36 districts will be a will be will each be 15-minute cities where everything a resident needs is a short walk away. So it's the kind of city that you live in. These are called smart cities, 
where everything you need is within walking distance of where you live. And um, it's interesting to me that that is going to be a feature of these smart cities because to me it's a recipe for a jail cell or actually a prison where you electronically will not be able allowed to travel outside of your you know, immediate walking distance area unless you have the right social credit score. And we've covered the whole concept of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party and the social credit system where uh, individuals, if they don't behave the right way online or if they look at too many um, politically incorrect websites or if they don't recycle um, or if they say something against the communist regime online, then their opportunities in life shrink in terms of travel, uh, in terms of um, uh, getting your kids into the best schools, etc. This is the kind of thing that's being envisioned in through this uh, particular city called Teloza, which is scheduled, according to the article, to be built right here in the United States. The article goes on and it says every building will be green <laughs> with rooftop panels producing renewable energy. And we could read a lot about that planned city in the United States, but we've actually covered another one. Uh, I believe that we covered this in Pastor's Point of View 221 to 222, both episodes. It's in Saudi Arabia, and the article says, in Saudi Arabia, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman is constructing a mega city named The Line, part of a larger development called Neom. And the article goes on and it mentions other kinds of cities that are going to be built literally all over the world. There's the floating city in Maldives, if I'm pronouncing that right. Then there's going to be another smart city, the Toyota Woven City. Is a company town being built in the foothills of Japan's Mount Fuji, if I'm pronouncing that right. And then the article mentions the Mazdar city in Abu Dhabi. And then there's another city called the Net City in uh, Shenzhen, China. Uh, it's interesting how Bill Gates' name keeps showing up in all of these things. Bill Gates wants to build a smart city called Belmont in the Arizona desert. So those of you that think the United States is not going to be susceptible to these smart cities, think again. And then Elon Musk's name comes up. Musk has discussed creating a city called Starbase in southernmost Texas, uh, where I live, the state of Texas, one of the most red, supposedly, and conservative states in the United States. And these are all targets for these smart cities. Um, so the reason I'm bringing this up is people today say, oh, come on, Babylon can't be rebuilt so quickly. Well, think again. I've just given you examples of smart cities that are on the prospect of arising eminently or actually are arising eminently all over the world. 
And if this can happen all over the world, why can't it happen in the city of Babylon? Especially since the Bible predicts the rise of the city of Babylon in the last days. One of those cities is in the United Arab Emirates. In fact, we have a map of it here. It's Dubai. We've covered this city before. Notice how close that city is to modern-day Iraq. Neom, the line in Neom, Saudi Arabia, we have a map of it here. Notice how close that city is to modern-day Iraq or Babylon. So the truth of the matter is, if these cities can come up rapidly in that region and in that part of the world, why couldn't it also happen in the ancient city of Babylon in harmony with Bible prophecy? So the prophetic scenario is, in my opinion, it's moving very fast. Smart cities are becoming a reality cities being built from scratch. In fact, that's what the Axios article says. Cities of the future built from scratch. I mean, it's almost as if this article was written to a, as a refutation to the naysayers out there saying Babylon can't be rebuilt quickly. Not only are these cities being built from scratch all over the world and even here in the United States, but they're being built in the very region of the world where Babylon is destined to play a role in the end times. So this information concerning Babylon, we bring it to your attention in a prophecy update. Let's move now into our second area, which is the New World Order. New World Order totalitarianism. And sort of as a, as a launching pad for that discussion, we typically like to quote the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 23, which describes the final form of Gentile rule uh, before Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. This is the kingdom of the Antichrist. It says the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down. Now this here is speaking of not just one world government, because it says it's going to exert authority and jurisdiction over the whole earth, but it's speaking of one world totalitarianism through the language devour, crush, tread it down, trample, and very, very sadly, this is the kind of world that Jesus will come back to and overthrow at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And so if this prophecy means what it says and says what it means, our world, if we're on the eve of these end-time events, as we believe we are, should be moving in a totalitarian direction. And to demonstrate that our world is indeed moving into a totalitarian direction, I'd like to direct your attention to this article by the countersignal.com by Keen um, Bexty, if I'm pronouncing that right. The title of it is Exclusive Leak. Trudeau, that's Justin Trudeau, the leader of Canada. Trudeau is installing wep weapons armories, interrogation rooms for a ministry of climate change. 
Notice uh, what this particular article says. It says the Ministry uh, of Environment and Climate Change Canada is otherwise known as the ECCC is building a new facility in Winnipeg that will be the home to a firearms armory interrogation rooms biological labs media relation offices controlled quiet rooms whatever that means and intelligence facilities the plans which were drawn up from a firm in Winnipeg open a window into Trudeau's future plans for climate enforcement. The article goes on and it says, Down the hall from the proposed firearm storage rooms are several, several evidence rooms, interrogation suites, and adjacent recording rooms. According to a recently posted Indeed.com ad, the ministry is searching to a recruit to recruit a battalion of climate pollution officers, a unit within the coldly named Environmental Enforcement Directorate. If you emit, emit too much carbon or use too much fertilizer, you may just be on the climate communists hit list. The article says, the entire facility that was leaked to the counter signal is sketched to be over 50,000 square feet and will house hundreds of ECCC staff and will also be the home to weather forecasting, a weather forecasting staff. The Impact Assessment Act otherwise known as the IAA, which was quietly passed in the final days of Trudeau's government, grants sweeping power to ministerial enforcement officers. But until now, little has been explained about where and how the climate police will be deployed. The IAA empowers agents of the ministry climate change to enter premises without a warrant to verify compliance or prevent non-compliance with the act. Trudeau's climate police may enter any project location that infects the environment to take photographs, access computer systems and communication devices, and direct any person to put any machinery, vehicle, or equipment in the place into operation or to cease operating it. Climate police may also prohibit access to the location entirely. It seems to be no coincidence that the climate police armory was placed in the heartland of agricultural Canada. Um, the article goes on and there's a link to it on the screen or um, a screenshot of it and you can read that on your own. You'll notice also this tweet from Bart uh, Marcois, Mar I think is how you say that. It says, exclusive leak, Trudeau installing weapons, armories, interrogation rooms for Ministry of Climate Change. And this comes from the countersignal.com, which we just read. And as you go to this article, it is one of the eeriest and creepiest things you'll ever read because it has um, a architectural design, if you will, 
of what this place is actually going to look like. So all of that to say is what is being built here is a facility to deal with so-called climate criminals. Um, you know, this whole issue of the climate, this whole issue of alleged global warming or global cooling or climate change, I have to be honest with you that I have understated what this agenda is all about. I thought the end game of it is the increase of governmental control over private business. I mean, if you believe that in anthropogenic climate change, which, by the way, the Bible clearly rejects in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. But if you believe that we are doing something to put the climate or the world into some sort of crisis, anthropogenic climate change, coming from the word anthropos, man, and then in the word genic, you'll recognize the word genesis as in beginning or cause. If you believe that, then you will accept more and more government incursions into ordinary life to manage our behavior for the benefit of Mother Earth or the climate. And I thought the whole agenda was simply to allow the government to stick its nose into areas of private industry, capitalism, where it has never had the ability to stick its nose in before. But I think, although that what I have said is part of the agenda. The other part of the agenda is to actually criminalize people. And if you listen to some of the talks on this by the former governor of California, Jerry Brown, if you listen to a lot of the things that Al Gore has said and is saying on this issue, they're talking about creating a race or a class, I should say, of people that they call basically climate criminals. And they're talking about criminal penalties assessed against people who don't treat the environment correctly. And apparently the things that they're saying by way of rhetoric are ultimately going to be put into full force because here is Justin Trudeau who has essentially one party rule in Canada He's able to get anything that he wants. Here is, he, here is Justin Trudeau sneaking into you know, legislation at the last minute, funding for facilities where people on this issue of climate are going to be interrogated, incarcerated, uh, uh, researched, analyzed. And so all of this points us very aggressively in this direction of one world tyranny, which the book of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 23 clearly predicts for the end of the age. Let's jump to our third category here, and this has to do with uh, Mark of the Beast technology. We're going to show a video in just a second, so let's cue that up. But before we do that, notice Revelation chapter 13, and notice verses 16 through 18. It's the famous Mark of the Beast passage. Uh, no doubt prophecy students are very aware of this passage. It talks about the mark of the beast as it will function in the tribulation period. And it says he. Now the he is the false prophet who works for the Antichrist. He causes all, 
global in other words, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, the Greek word Sophia, wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man and his number is 666. A very famous passage and it talks about a system coming into existence where you cannot buy or sell unless you have some sort of mark on your right hand or your forehead, a cashless system. And we believe that while this system is not in existence yet, the technology is always moving us in the direction of this system, which is nothing more than one world totalitarianism. That's why Daniel 7 verse 23 in the previously cited verse talks about a one world government crushing and trampling down uh, its inhabitants. It's a system with, of no privacy whatsoever. It's a system where one's economic behavior is tracked from cradle to grave. And if people don't behave in a politically correct fashion and swear allegiance to the system, and the Antichrist that controls the system, then somebody pushes a button and shuts them out of life. Uh, no ability to work, no travel, no food, etc. And so you can see how the Antichrist is going to use this system to control the masses of the entire earth. And so what we have to start to see now is a movement away from the use of cash into digitized transactions. Because as long as I am spending via cash on things, the government has no ability to track what I spent my money on. And the government wants to know everything about me. My eating habits, my sleeping habits, my buying habits, my political affiliations, my ideology, what kind of church I attend. They want to know all of that because they're going to use that to factor in your credit score, which will give you more opportunities for compliance or less opportunities for a lack of compliance. So expect our world very fast to move into a cashless system. And it was interesting that I saw very recently this advertisement from Starbucks and it says here, we're going cashless. And then it gives dates from October 1st, 2022. That's just a couple of months away uh, as to the uh, timing of this particular recording. From October 1st, we will only be accepting card contactless and Starbucks rewards payments. And um, it goes on, it says, please ask our team for further details. And so it's interesting that one of the most woke corporations out there, Starbucks, I mean, they're always on the cutting edge of everything politically correct in our culture and society. They are just boldly announcing that, you know what, in a couple months we're not accepting cash anymore. And I think that's a sign of the times. 
and it's sort of a signal of where we're headed into these completely, ultimately digitized transactions. Now, one of the things that we talked about on pastor's point of view, number 222, is the ability of a computer program in China to actually read one's thoughts. And the reason why that technology is so significant is because once it comes into operation, even one's thoughts can be monitored. So therefore, your political ideology can be monitored, your religious thoughts can be monitored, and that will all factor into your social credit score. Big Brother simply says you're thinking the wrong thoughts. You're too fundamentalist in your beliefs. You're too absolutists, absolutist, I should say, in your beliefs. And so when we uh, posted that particular article, and people can go back to PPOV222, to see that, a lot of people wrote to us and said, oh, come on, a computer can't read one's thoughts. So I found it interesting that we came across this particular video that's available on YouTube. The title of it is Watch Elon Musk's Neuralink Monkey Play Video Games with His Brain. And so this is a computer program actually reading the mind of a monkey. This video goes about three minutes, and so we're going to go ahead and run that at this time. This is Pager. He's a nine-year-old macaque who had a Neuralink placed in each side of his brain about six weeks ago. If you look carefully, you can see that the fur on his head hasn't quite fully grown back yet. He's learned to interact with a computer for a tasty banana smoothie delivered through a straw. We can interact with the Neuralinks simply by pairing them to an iPhone, just as you might pair your phone to a Bluetooth speaker. Links record from more than 2,000 electrodes implanted in the regions of Pager's motor cortex that coordinate hand and arm movements. Neurons in this region modulate their activity with intended hand movement. For example, some might become more active when he moves his hand up and others when he moves it to the right. By recording from many neurons and feeding their activity into a decoder algorithm, we are able to predict Page's intended hand movements in real time. First, we calibrate the decoder by recording neural activity as Pager uses the joystick to move a cursor to targets presented on the screen. As he's playing this game, we're wirelessly streaming in real time the firing rates from thousands of neurons to a computer. Using these data, we calibrate the decoder by mathematically modeling the relationship between patterns of neural activity and the different joystick movements they produce. After only a few minutes of calibration, we can use the output from the decoder to move the cursor instead of the joystick. Pages still moves the joystick out of habit, but as you can see, it's unplugged. He's controlling the cursor entirely with decoded neural activity. Our goal is to enable a person with paralysis to use a computer or phone with their brain activity alone. Because they wouldn't be able to move a joystick, they would calibrate the decoder by imagining hand movements to targets. One of the things the Neuralinks allow Pager to do 
is to play his favourite video game, Pong. To control his paddle on the right side of the screen, Pager simply thinks about moving his hand up or down. We've removed the joystick altogether. Now that he's up to speed, let's increase the difficulty and see how well Pager can play with the Neuralink. As you can see, Pager is amazingly good at mind pong. He's focused, and he's playing entirely of his own volition. It's not magic. The reason Neuralink works is because it's recording and decoding electrical signals from the brain. Great game, Pager. And what better reward for a monkey than a banana? All right, so that's some interesting technology. It's kind of interesting how in the video it's promoted as, oh, think of what this is going to do for the disabled, the handicapped, the elderly. And I'm not disputing the fact that this can't be a tremendous resource for them. But what i like for you to think about is think about this kind of technology in the hands of a dictator or a future dictator like the Antichrist. Think of his ability to tell who is a conformist to his system and who is a nonconformist. And that's why we believe that technology is not taking us the opposite direction. It's moving us in the direction of the mark of the beast system. So we bring that to your attention in this prophecy update. Now, as this global system comes into existence, one of the things that you can very quickly, you will very quickly see happen is the persecution of people who are not cooperative with the system. People that have an absolute set of values, particularly coming from the Bible. That's why the Bible predicts persecution against the godly in the last days. Jesus clearly predicted this in Matthew chapter 24, a prophetic passage, when he said in verse 9, as he was describing the birth pangs he, uh, that were coming upon the earth, he says, then you will be handed over, speaking to his disciples, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated Notice that word hate. You will be hated by all nations because of me. So the nations will come against the godly in the last days because they mirror the teachings and the character of Jesus Christ. Is that happening today? Well, notice this article here from, the, uh, from Fox News. Com. It features something that was written recently in the Atlantic. And the particular article I'm reading from by Alexander Hall, August the 14th, 2022, says, Atlantic op-ed claims Catholic rosary has become an extremist symbol. The author claimed Catholics are a growing contingent of Christian nationalism. Let me read to you a little bit from this article. Atlantic contributor Daniel, uh, Daniel uh, Pannington 
declared that the Catholic rosary has become a symbol of religious radicalism. The rosary is a string of beads or knots used by Catholics as they pray a sequence of prayers, but one writer warned that they have taken on a far darker meaning in modern modern times. This particular writer in the Atlantic says, just as the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for Christian nationalists in general, the rosary has acquired a militaristic meaning for radical, traditional, or traditional radical Catholics, the author claimed in the Sunday piece entitled How the Rosary Became an Extremist Symbol. This particular author added, quote, on this extremist fringe, rosary beads have been woven into a, woven into a conspiratorial politics and absolute gun culture. These armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned it into something dangerously literal, close quote. You'll notice that this particular writer in the Atlantic has targeted Roman Catholics. Why has he targeted Roman Catholics? Well, Roman Catholics have a tendency to be pro-life, so they're not going to vote for sort of a progressivist agenda. Uh, Roman Catholics have a absolutist belief system that comes from their religion that in many instances is out of harmony with the New World Order. So this particular writer targets Roman Catholics and basically takes their rosary, which is an ancient symbol within Roman Catholicism, and equates it to, to being an, an AR-15 gun-toting, gun-quoting Radical. In other words, the people that have the rosary are basically extremists. They need to be monitored. They need to be watched because, you know, they might involve themselves in some sort of act of terrorism, which, you know, is, a, is an absurd notion on its face. But I'm trying to show you very quickly how certain groups that don't fit with the politically correct orthodoxy are being labeled and targeted as radical Christian nationalists and radical Christian uh, extremists, and they're being actually analogized to those that commit acts of, of terrorism. Now, I want to be clear that I am not a Roman Catholic. I am not involved with you know, owning or having or holding a, a rosary, but I'm going to stand up for the Roman Catholics on this count, even though I disagree with them theologically, I will stand up for them politically for the reason I stand up for the Jehovah's Witnesses when their constitutional rights are violated. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I have vast areas of disagreement with Jehovah's Witness theology. I think it's a cult. I have, as a Protestant Christian, I have vast areas of disagreement with Roman Catholicism. I think Roman Catholicism, when rightly understood, is a form of apostate Christendom. Roman Catholics do not believe in the five solas the way I believe in them. Sola gratia, to the glory of God alone, 
sola fide, salvation by faith alone, sola Christus, salvation by Christ alone. Um, sola scriptura, authority comes from the scripture alone, etc., etc., etc. But that doesn't mean I sit by idly and turn a blind eye when their, their, their constitutional rights are violated, or in this case, they're being blatantly misrepresented and attacked by progressive leftist liberal media. And that's why I stand up for Roman Catholics in terms of their constitutional rights, just as I stand up for Jehovah's Witnesses and others in terms of their constitutional rights, although there's a vast theological divide between us. And the reason I stand up for them is because of what Niemöller said. You remember what Niemöller said, who was a, a pastor, who was anti-Adolf Hitler in Germany, in the World War II era. Niemöller has um, a famous um, statement on this. He says, when the Nazis came for the communists, I remained silent because I was not a communist. When they locked up social democrats, I remained silent because I was not a social democrat. When they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. When they came for me, <laughs> there was no one left to speak out for me, he says. And so that's why you have to pay attention to groups that are being misrepresented targeted, abused, slandered, libeled because they're not cooperating with the new world order agenda. This, to my mind, is the type of persecution that the Bible predicts for the last days. And these types of things will become more and more prominent as the one world system that we have been speaking of uh, is about to... Uh, reach its maximum or ultimate form. Now, having said all that, I do have some good news to report. This comes from the Los Angeles Times. This is an article by Kevin Rector, August 26, 2022, on this issue of persecution. And the title of the article says, California churches do not have to provide abortion coverage in health plans, the court rules. Now this is a very sad situation in California where the California authorities were compelling churches and organizations that think abortion is murder. The government of California was coming along and saying, we don't care that you think it's murder. We are compelling you through the force of law to provide abortion coverage for your employees in insurance that you must purchase for them. And so we're going to compel you to subsidize abortion in that sense, even though it's contrary to your religion and your value system um, to promote abortion. So this article says three California churches no longer have to cover abortion services as part of their employee health care plans after winning a years-long legal battle against the, against the state 
the state of California, a federal court ruled Thursday. The case based a lawsuit filed by the churches in 2015 weighed their claims for claims of religious discrimination against the state's position that abortion services represent basic care that should generally be covered by all health care plans offered in the state. U.S. District Chief Judge Kimberly Mueller of the Eastern District of California sided with the churches in her opinion for the court writing that the California Department of Managed Health Care had violated the church's First Amendment right to freely exercise their religion when it denied their request for exemptions from the coverage requirement. The churches had asked to be exempt from covering abortions except when absolutely necessary to save the life of the mother. The article goes on and it mentions the three churches that filed the First Amendment lawsuit. It says in the middle of the article, the ruling was a clear victory for the churches. And here are the three churches that stood up against this tyrannical behavior by the state of California. Number one, the Foothill Church in Glendora, California. Number two, the Shepherd of the Hills Church in Porter Ranch, California. And number three, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Chino, California. Now, the third of those churches is pastored by Jack Hibbs. I think most people that watch us know of him. I've had the privilege of speaking at some prophecy conferences um, put on by David Hawking, hosted in his church. So I've had the chance to meet him a couple of times. And I recall at one of our conferences, he was talking about this issue. And this issue, as the article says, goes all the way back to 2015. It's now the year 2022. So look at all of the years that have transpired in the court system just to get this issue resolved. And this shows you that even though tyranny is on the horizon and the Bible predicts that it's coming, that does not in any way mitigate our responsibilities as Christians to stand up in the face of tyranny. I'm reminded of that famous quote by Thomas Jefferson, paraphrasing a little bit. He says, resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. And just because we believe the end time scenario is coming very fast, that doesn't negate or uh, should cause us to neglect our responsibility to stand up and stand strong in the face of tyranny. And this also shows us how important judicial nominations are. The truth of the matter is elections have consequences. And one of the consequences is which president is going to appoint judges at the federal level. And the reason these three churches had victory is because the right set of judges actually heard the case. So judges are important, elections are important, so every Christian should always get out and vote. If for no other reason, then whoever wins the election gets to appoint the judges 
and this is dealing with uh, judge at a, judges at a federal level. And Christians don't have to take it. They can stand up for their rights in the face of tyranny, although the Bible ultimately teaches that tyranny is going to win the day for a season until Jesus returns and overthrows the tyrannical rule of the Antichrist. But even though this was a victory, it's still a form of persecution because this issue should have never come into existence anyway. I mean, it's a blatant violation of the First Amendment. And it certainly should not have taken from 2015 to 2022 to, to uh, uh, finally get a fair hearing. And beyond that, keep in mind that this is only a district court ruling. The district court is the lowest level in the federal system. And no doubt this, is, this decision is going to be appealed to the circuit courts or circuit court, which is the appellate level. And if the Supreme Court decides to take the case, depending on which way the ruling goes, ultimately this has the potential of landing all the way at the United States Supreme Court. So even though this is a victory, it still has the earmarks of persecution all over it because this is just a district court ruling, number one. Number two, this issue should have never come before the courts to begin with. And number three, it shouldn't have taken from 2015 to 2022 to get the issue resolved. So I'm happy for any victories that we get in this regard, but the pattern of persecution against Bible readers is still very much in play. With that being said, let's go to our fifth area of discussion, and that has to do with historical revisionism. As the New World Order comes into existence, you can expect persecution against God's people, and you can also expect the history books to be rewritten so that it accommodates, so that they accommodate a narrative that's politically correct and sympathetic to the mindset of the progressive left and the new world order. Notice this quote from George Orwell. And of course, you know who George Orwell was. He wrote the classic book, 1984. And uh, if there's a book you ought to pull off your shelf and uh, blow the dust off it, um, I would recommend it because what he said in that book is a virtual prediction of what is actually happening in our world right now. George Orwell is quoted as saying, quote, who controls the past controls the future. And whoever controls the present controls the past. Notice what none other than Karl Marx said. Marx said, take away a nation's heritage and they are more easily persuaded. Take away a nation's heritage and they are more easily persuaded. And the Marxists and George Orwell, who was not a Marxist but was warning against Marxism or fascism in the book 1984, both men clearly put their finger on the reality of historical revisionism. Um, whenever you want to take over a society, you have to rewrite the history books so that the history books support a narrative that's consistent with the oppressors. If people really knew their history, 
if they really knew, for example, here in the United States, the freedom that our country is based on and the price that was paid to procure for us or to gain for us our freedom, they would resist totalitarianism. And so what we see is an effort in the United States to alter our history. Notice what the book of Revelation chapter two and verse five says. Jesus here is speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, before you repent, because of the fact that they've left their first love, before you repent, you have to remember. You have to remember the heights from which you have fallen. So remembrance is a prerequisite to repentance. In other words, you cannot have a revival in a national sense unless that particular nation needing to be revived understands their history. Because only when they compare their current actions and beliefs to historical truths will they see the gap which will furnish the incentive necessary to repent. Uh, today people are always talking about how we need national revival, how we need national repentance. I agree with that, that we need those things, but you're not going to have that until remembrance or history is recovered. As long as we have national amnesia, we don't fully understand what has happened to our country. But once we compare it to the record of history, we see the gap that exists from such a study between history and today, which furnishes for us a strong incentive to repent. This is why Satan is always trying to blot out actual history. In fact, this is not in the show notes, but over in uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, you'll see the reforms and the revival that took place in one of the few good kings of Judah, a man named Josiah. And what you'll discover in that chapter is that reformation and revival, those reformations and revival were preceded by a discovery of the neglected law in the temple. You know, they went into the temple under Josiah's orders for purposes of refurbishment and they stumbled upon the law of God and they were looking at themselves saying, what is this thing? And they brought it out and they discovered it was the Mosaic Covenant and they, at that point, understood how wayward the nation had become because their current behavior was very different than what God called for in the Mosaic Covenant. And so that recovery of history led to one of the few revivals that we see in the southern kingdom on the eve of the Babylonian captivity. Once you understand this truth and this reality, you start to understand why Satan is working overtime to erase our history as Americans to create a narrative that will cause us to fit into the uh, prospects 
potentiality of the new world order. So notice with all of that in mind, this uh, particular article from Texas Scorecard, the title of it is the State Board of Education is to vote on radical social studies changes K through eight. Now there's another article about Anne Frank and the Bible being banned in a Texas school district, which we can talk about first. That particular article, and this one is written by uh, Marianne Martinez, August the 17th, 2022. Texas school district pulls Anne Frank's diary and the Bible from shelves after complaints. The article says a Texas school district has pulled the Bible, an illustrated version of Anne Frank's diary, and about 40 other books from its library after the tomes sparked complaints from parents and community members. The inclusion of the Bible, the article says, in the Dallas area school district's library was first challenged in November 2021 by a parent who complained that the Bible contains inappropriate content, including sexual content, violence, rape, murder, human sacrifice, misogyny, homophobia, discrimination, and other inappropriate content a district spokesperson told the Post. The article goes on and says two more challenges to the Christian holy book were made at the same time in February by different people, one of whom claimed that it is a map of slavery, incest, sex between donkey and women, misogyny, murder, pedophilia, you name it, it's in there. The other parent complained that, quote, religion doesn't belong in schools. This book also describes multiple acts of sexuality and violence, according to the spokesperson. But in light of a new rule, the district decided to pull it and all 40 other apparently controversial books, including Anne Frank's diary, the graphic adaptation. So is this not interesting that we're living in a climate here, of all places, conservative Texas? I mean, red Texas. I mean, I would expect this kind of thing to happen in Massachusetts or some other very liberal, bluish part of our republic, state in our republic. But it's actually, being, it's ap actually happening here in Texas where parents are complaining and school districts are taking the Bible and they're taking Anne Frank's diary out of the public school library. Now, if you don't have Anne Frank's diary in the library, how could young minds ever learn about the Holocaust? And if they don't know anything about the Holocaust, when a similar kind of Holocaust begins to take place in our world, um, you wouldn't see the red flags concerning the Holocaust. But if you have a knowledge of the Holocaust, History is a very good teacher. And Anne Frank's diary, if you know the story of Anne Frank, uh, is a tremendous work showing the effect and the influence of the Holocaust in the World War II era. And so to see Anne Frank's diary removed from a library because of parental complaints, that to me is stunning. 
And we're actually living, believe it or not, amongst a generation of very, very young people who don't even know who Hitler was. You know, my wife is a, a teacher of young people, and she frequently asks them about Nazi Germany and Hitler. And, and it's stunning, as she discovers, that very few kids, children that are very young, even know who Hitler was. Now, when I was growing up and coming of age in the public educational system, everybody knew everything there was or could be known about Adolf Hitler. And so you cannot assume that the knowledge we possess of the Holocaust is something that the very, very young possess today. And nothing would educate them more about the Holocaust than reading Anne Frank's diary. And so it's stunning to me that a school district in conservative Texas would remove Anne Frank's diary from the public school library. And as the article indicates, it's also removing the Bible. That again is stunning. Because when you go back to the Satan Deluder Act in Massachusetts in 1647, what you discover is public schools in the United States were designed to teach people to become literate so that they could read the Bible for themselves. And here we are now full circle where the Bible is actually taken out of the public school library. Why? Because it has examples in it of violence, rape, slavery. And I'm here to tell you that, yes, the Bible does have examples in it like that. But you have to learn to distinguish between prescriptive and descriptive literature. The Bible describes a lot of things, but it in no way, shape, or form prescribes those things. And really what these parents are upset about is the Bible has something to say about the same-sex movement. It condemns the same-sex movement and homosexuality as a sin. And so therefore the Bible has to be removed under the guise of, oh my gosh, the Bible also talks about violence. And it does, but it is not prescribing violence, it is describing violence and the biblical message when you look at it in its totality would condemn rape condemn murder condemn violence just like it condemns the sinful behavior of the same-sex movement and so it's really interesting how the bible itself in a country that was founded on the bible is actually being taken out of libraries in public schools right here in the state of Texas. Do you see what's happening? History is being altered. History is being revised to create a narrative that is harmonious with the new world order which is on the horizon. Let's go to the article I mentioned earlier from Texas Scorecard. The title of it is The State Board of Education is About to Vote on Radical social studies. So we're right now in the state of Texas about ready to be, if these radicals win this vote, a curriculum, curricula and curriculum that creates history that is hostile to American values, Western values, but sympathetic to progressivism. 
I'm uh, reading here from an email that came out recently from Patriot Mobile News and their newsletter. It says, a call to action, address the radical assault on Texas social studies. And here's what it says. The State Board of Education will discuss the revamped social studies uh, TEKS overhaul presented by unelected work groups to the board on August 1st, 2022. The next State Board of Education meeting is scheduled for August 30th to September 2nd. So that meeting is transpiring as I'm speaking. What is wrong with the proposed social studies curriculum? Here are a list of problems. The proposed social study curriculum does the following. First, it removes instances of In God We Trust and E Pluribus Unum was the rationale that it is, uh, with the ras rationale that it is not mentioned elsewhere. Now this is a change they're trying to make to high school U.S. history. Get rid of, among other things, in God we trust. It also removes Texas history from fourth, the fourth grade and seventh grade curriculum. So if this, this goes through, you wouldn't be exposed any longer to the Alamo, Texas history, etc. This proposed curriculum also adds a requirement for students to define sex, gender, and sexual orientation and differentiate among their distinguishing characteristics. That's a change being proposed by unelected work groups in high school sociology. It requires students to learn gender, a gender inequality index. That's something that's now being proposed for high school world geography. It presents the Texas Rangers as an instrument of oppression to eighth graders. It dictates students compare the goals of the pride liberation movement with other groups in the 60s and the 70s. That's being proposed in the eighth grade. In other words, being black is the same as being a homosexual in terms of civil rights minority status, confusing an immutable characteristic with a chosen behavior. That's being targeted now for eighth graders. It decreases instruction regarding George Washington, the first president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, John Marshall, I believe he was the third United States Supreme Court Chief Justice, Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, who of course freed the slaves, Theodore Roosevelt, FDR, of course, Ronald Reagan, who was the greatest president, has, was or has been the greatest president in my lifetime. Limiting a deep understanding of these important historical figures. So any knowledge of these major players in American history has to be decreased. And this is a proposal for high school U.S. government. What is the significance of these changes? Now, these changes are being proposed by unelected work groups. I guess I would want to know who funded the work groups. 
But these are changes being brought to the State Board of Education for discussion in the state of Texas. And if these radical work groups get their way, American history, world history, and Texas history is about to be fundamentally transformed so that children will come of age in the Texas public school system with a mindset and a narrative that is not a limited government narrative, a patriot narrative, a pro-America narrative, an America first narrative, but rather more of a global narrative, which will make an entire generation sympathetic to the new world order. That's why historical revisionism, as I am describing it, is a prophetically significant issue. It sets the stage for Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, one world tyranny. With all of that being said, let's conclude with our sixth and final area where parental authority itself is being channeled, challenged, I should say. Notice the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. This is the great Hebrew Shema, which in Hebrew means listen. This is where parental authority comes from. God, speaking to the children of Israel, says, Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Close quote. God has placed parental authority for the education of their children in the hands of the parents. That responsibility belongs to the parents. Now, of course, the parents, as they seek God's will for their individual child, can essentially uh, enroll their children in whatever school that's best for their child. But at the end of the day, God says, I'm holding parents responsible for the moral foundation and education and upbringing of their own children. You'll notice that God said this all the way back in 1406 BC. This is roughly 1,500 years before the time of Christ. Uh, uh, 3,500 years ago, before the teachers' unions ever showed up, before the teachers' colleges ever came on the scene, before educrats ever had their heyday, before the Department of Education ever existed at the federal level, God said parents are responsible for the moral upbringing and moral education of their own children. Now, the reason this is a prophetic issue is Bible prophecy predicts a clipping of the cord or the chain of command between parents and children in the last days. Where am I getting this from? I'm getting it from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, where Paul predicts, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he mentions what he's talking about. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, 
At the end there, he says ungrateful and unholy, but right there in the mix, he says disobedient to parents. Expect the natural hierarchy or chain of command to be clipped between parents and children in the last days. In fact, children will become disobedient to their own parents. And so when the government takes our children through compulsory education and educates them in a way that is hostile to the value system of the parents, you have to say to yourself, that's a tragic thing, but it's prophetically significant. So with all of that being said, as an example of this, look no further than this article from Fox News written by Nicholas Lanham, August the 28th, 2022. It says, Father sues school after daughter's suicide attempts. Says, gender counseling hidden from the parents. Wendell Perez, attorney, a detail case, or details the case on Laura Ingram's The Angle as the district denies the allegation. This is a case coming to us out of the state of Florida. Very recent, hot off the press. The article says a Florida father said Thursday his daughter's his daughter attempted suicide twice after her school encouraged others to call her a boy and gave her a new name while not notifying the parents about meetings discussing her gender identity. During an appearance on the Ingram Angle, Wendell Perez said he took legal action after the elementary school counselor told him his 12-year-old daughter had attempted suicide over issues with her gender identity. Perez said the counselor told him he was not informed about the daughter's situation because of his Catholic beliefs. The counselor had secret meetings with our daughter about gender. She was groomed to something that she's not, and she was encouraged. Perez said the counselor precipitated a pattern of bullying by calling his daughter by a different name and different pronouns in the presence or in front of the other students. Perez's lawyer, Bernadette Broyles, echoed her client's statement, arguing that the case is about understanding and upholding the rights of parents to be able to raise their children in accordance with their own faith, even if that faith is disfavored in the eyes of school officials. It's about understanding that children are not the mere creatures of the state, Broyles added. I read an article like this and I say, you gotta be kidding. You mean the school system through compulsory education is taking a child, targeting a child, because the parent of that child happens to be Roman Catholic and trying to convince that child through public bullying and transitioning that that little girl is actually a boy. And this is all done without the father even knowing what's happening. 
And the father doesn't even become aware of this until the child twice attempts suicide. My goodness, this is an outworking of what the Marxists have always wanted to do to the United States of America. Take over the public school system, take children away from parents, and indoctrinate parents into a worldview that is the opposite of what those parents stand for. And we're going to target resisting parents that happen to come from a Roman Catholic persuasion that boys are boys and girls are girls. We're going to transition a child at a very young and uh, infirm, kind of feeble age, an impressionable age at age 12, convince a girl that she's really a boy, try to transition that child, publicly humiliate the child, call the child by a different name, call the child by different pronouns than what their actual gender is, and we're going to do all this and the parents don't know anything about it. I mean, no wonder the youth in our country are all talking about, many of them, suicide. I mean, this is the kind of insanity that they're up against in the public school system. And I'm here to tell you that as disgusting as this is, as despicable as this is, this is an actual outworking of Bible prophecy, which predicts that the cord would be clipped in the authority structure between parents and children in the last days, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Well, this has been a hard-hitting uh, show as we brought to you this prophecy update on all kinds of different issues, Babylon, the New World Order, Mark of the Beast technology, persecution, historical revisionism, and the attack on parental authority. I don't expect these things to improve. I expect these things to get worse as we get closer and closer to the end of the age. But as we said earlier in the show, that does not somehow absolve us as Christians to stand up as the Holy Spirit leads in the face of tyranny. The good news that we have in all of this is Titus chapter 2, verse 13, which says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. As our world, as the late Adrian Rogers says, becomes gloriously dark, we know that the rapture is on the horizon. He calls it gloriously dark because these things are necessary to set the stage for the tribulation period, yet the rapture of the church precedes the tribulation period, and we learn here that the rapture is not far. If the world is being set up this aggressively for the seven-year tribulation period and the rapture comes before the tribulation period, and it does, we must be literally on the eve of the rapture. I'm not a date setter nor the son of a date setter, but I can read the signs of the times. And I know that Christ's coming is very near. And if it's very near, we ought to be living for eternal values and eternal things. A couple of infomercial items. There is a conference coming up that I'm participating in in Appleton, Wisconsin, September 9th through 11th. I believe that there will be live streaming for this particular conference. It's put on by 
Calvary Chapel of Appleton, and you can see many of the speakers that are going to be involved there. And so I would invite you to uh, consider looking into it and getting a chance to be edified and fortified in these last days by teachers that believe what the Bible says about the end times. Also coming up October 13th through 17th, uh, through October 13th through 16th at Lake of the Ozarks is the Worldview Weekend Conference featuring many great patriots in our country. I am going to be one of the speakers among many others. I believe that this is a live only conference, so I would encourage you to look into that. There's going to actually be a number of people from our church attending that particular conference, and that's put on by Brandon House and Worldview Weekend. In addition, there's going to be a Bible Lands cruise put on by Bill Perkins and Compass Ministries from September 21st to October 6th. It's a Bible Lands cruise. You can see where it goes. Italy, Greece, Turkey, the island of Cyprus, in essence, tracing uh, many of the steps that the Apostle Paul took in the book of Acts. There'll be three days in Israel. And so if you have an interest in going on that, there's the phone number, the website, and even a QR code that will take you directly to the website. It is my understanding that a lot of the mandates that we have been under for the last two years are now being lifted, making this cruise a possibility. So think about that. Um, going on something like this uh, certainly will enhance your biblical understanding as you'll be in the actual places um, that you read about in the pages of God's Word. Um, this particular show, Pastor's Point of View, these shows are available on podcast format. So just go to wherever it is you get your podcasts, type in my name or... Dr. Wood's pastor's point of view, and it should show up right away. Um, if you're interested in helping us financially, there's a very easy and simple way to do that. Um, you can just enter Andy Wood's Ministries into Amazon Smile. And that way, anything that you purchase on Amazon, um, Andy Wood's Ministries are not-for-profit, will get part of the proceeds. You can follow all of our uh, public presentations, like Pastor's Point of View, on YouTube and Rumble. Just put in Andy Woods Ministries into either your YouTube or Rumble search engine, and our Pastor's Point of View shows, along with the other presentations that we do at Sugarland Bible Church, are there available at your fingertips. And I'm very excited about this uh, last announcement, last but not least, Andy Woods Ministries finally <laughs> has a new app. And so this is something that you can go uh, and you can just download onto your phone, onto your computer, and essentially our teachings, including Pastor's Point of View, are available on this app. Um, it's brand new, so we're gradually uploading our teachings 
We're probably going to start uploading them from the most recent teachings first. But we're very happy about this because when it comes to the issue of censorship at the hands of certain people, um, being censored from one platform for political incorrectness will not keep us and our teachings off, the, off this app. And so this is something that you need. This is something that is for free. This is something that is downloadable to your phone or device. Um, this is available for Samsung users. This is available for Roco users. This is available for Apple users. And you'll notice um, in the slide that we had up just a moment ago, um, for Samsung users, you just go to that QR code and it will take you right to where you can go to download the app. The same for Roco users and the same for Apple users. So we're very excited about participating in this kind of technology, which will allow us to communicate unencumbered and unobstructed to anyone that is willing to listen to our message and messages. If you don't know Christ personally, um, we would encourage you to place your personal faith, trust, hope, and confidence into Jesus alone for your sin debt and the safekeeping of your soul. And once you take that single step of faith, in a nanosecond, you become God's child. And you can look at our world, which is falling apart, and you could say, you know what? The world is not falling apart. It's falling into place because I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, which allows me to study Bible prophecy, which, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, is a lamp shining in a dark place. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what Bible prophecy is. And so once the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you begin to study Bible prophecy, you'll start to understand very clear, quickly why our world is moving in the pattern that it's moving into and that things truly are not falling apart, but they're falling into place. And any moment Jesus can return to rescue us from this world. And that is a promise to every child of God. And you become a child of God by trusting in Christ alone for salvation and the safekeeping of your soul. I hope you enjoyed our prophecy update for today. We will see you next time. God bless you and thank you for listening and watching.